cares to you. You were before all things. You sustain all things. You alone are eternal. You alone are holy. And Lord, you are glorious in a way that nothing else in this universe is. And Lord, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, first and foremost, through Jesus as the primary manifestation of your glory in this earth. But we also think about the Bible. You've given us your word, Scripture, to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us so that we'll be thoroughly equipped for everything to which you're calling us. And we pray, Lord, that today, as we open the Scripture, that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to how you're calling us to live and how we can live fruitful lives for your glory. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Friedman's Church is on really a quite amazing journey. If you trace that journey back far enough, you, you will end up in 1854, which is when Friedman's was founded. Uh, I mean, that, that's a long time ago, much longer than any of us have been alive because that's 164 years ago. But back then, even uh, just, just only six years after Wisconsin became a state, when Port Washington was just a small village, there was a group of German immigrants who started a Bible study in a home. And then they had the faith to launch a church, a church that was named Friedens. They were German. Friedens is a German word that means peace. And through the years, Friedens has really stood the test of time. And that's not something to take for granted because majority of churches that began in the mid-1800s no longer exist. And many that do still exist are on life support. They're kind of struggling just to, to get by. And in fact, every year, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches in America close their doors. Now, thankfully, there are many churches being planted every year as well. But the reality is that you cannot take survival of a church for granted through the years or through the decades or through the centuries. Yet here we are, 164 years after Friedens was founded, and we're not merely surviving, but things are really thriving. Things are, are growing in exciting ways. Did you know, for instance, that our Sunday morning services over the last five years have grown by 40%. 40% growth in five years. They, in that same time period, congregational giving, I mean, the funds that help shape and drive our ministries have grown by 51%. I've been here at Freedom's for nine years. And during that time, the number of young families who are active in the church has increased by about 300%. And the growth is not only among young people in the church, it's across the board. We have people of all ages who are getting involved in Frieden's ministry for the first time. And so, so it's exciting to see this type of growth. But we have to understand that numerical growth does not automatically indicate that we are fruitful in what God's calling us to. Because fruitfulness in God's kingdom is not just about numbers. Numbers can be a part of it. But fruitfulness in God's kingdom is ultimately about Jesus transforming people's lives. And thankfully, as we look back at Friedman's history and even in recent years, even recent months, we have seen God transforming people's lives right here in our midst. I invite you as on this theme of, of fruitfulness to, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John 15. As I said Friedman's Church is, is on a journey of following God, and in many ways it's an amazing journey. My journey with Friedman's began back in 2009. And I had just graduated from seminary, and I had been interviewing with Friedman's for uh, a few months because Friedman's was searching for a new pastor. And in that summer of 2009, in July to be specific, 
Shelley and I were invited here to Freedens, here to Port Washington, to spend a long weekend with the church family, getting to know each other. And then the climax of the weekend was that I would give a sermon on Sunday morning right up here, and then right after that service, the congregation would vote on whether they wanted us, wanted me specifically as their next pastor. So you think, no pressure there, is there? Uh, but thankfully, I mean, it, it seemed like a good fit. The weekend was going well, and I didn't really feel any significant pressure on that Sunday morning. And it, it's gone well. It's exciting to see where God has led Freedens. And back there in, on, on July 12th of 2009, the passage that I spoke out of was John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. The same passage that we are looking at today and in the coming weeks. And I still have my sermon notes from that sermon that morning. And I want to read you just a few sentences that I said relatively close to the beginning of that sermon. I said, based on all of my interactions with you here at Freedens, I see the deep desire that this church would continue to be fruitful for years to come. And I believe God is currently at work to continue making Freedens fruitful. At this pivotal time in the church's history, however... It is important that we focus on the foundations of bearing fruit in God's kingdom. And, and that was the title of the sermon, it was Foundations of Bearing Fruit. And in 2009, Freedens was at a very pivotal time in the church's history. Because the previous pastor, Pastor Mark Bull, had been here for 21 years, led in great ways, but he sensed that God was calling him elsewhere. So by July of 2009, Freedens had been 14 months without a long-term pastor. And the years around 2009 were pretty rocky for the church in many different ways. But thankfully, God led us well through that. And then we fast forward nine years to 2018, to where we are right now. And this is also a very pivotal season in the life of the church, for very different reasons, thankfully. But I, I think about the fact that we are going through, or we have recently gone through staffing transitions. And that pretty much all of our ministries have been revamped, whether it's for children or for teens or for adults. And that we are approaching this building project and capital campaign. I mean, for all these reasons, I think that what I said back in July 12th of 2009 still pertains to us today. That at this pivotal time in the church's history, it is important that we focus on the foundations of bearing fruit for God's kingdom. How, what does God want us to do? Where is God leading us. And for that reason, we are launching in this series called Fruitful, which is focused on John chapter 15. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so Jesus here is using the analogy of a vineyard. This is an image that would be very familiar to people back then. 
They would have automatically understood what Jesus is talking about. And the bottom line that we're focusing on today is that Jesus expects us to bear fruit. We'll be looking at this passage from several other angles in future weeks, but today we're focusing on the idea that Jesus expects us to bear fruit. I mean, it's clear throughout this passage. For instance, verse 2, Jesus says that every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that it may bear more fruit. And we'll be talking about this idea of the Father doing a pruning work in our lives. But the reason the Father prunes us is so that we can grow more fruitful. Similarly, in in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that's the idea of abiding here is maintaining a, a close connection with Jesus. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So why does Jesus want us to stay connected closely with him? So we can bear fruit. And not just some fruit, but, but instead much fruit. Over in verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so two, two questions here. One is, what is the criteria that Jesus points to here that, for demonstrating that we are his disciples? It's fruitfulness. By bearing fruit, we show ourselves to be his disciples. A second question based on verse 8. What is the, what is the method that, that Jesus points to by which the Father is glorified in us? How does God get glory from us? A part of it is that he bears fruit through us. Now jump down to verse 16. It's outside of our passage for today, but it's still relevant. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And so Jesus there is saying, you know what? His purpose for us, what he's called us to, is to bear fruit. And so again, back in that culture, people easily would have understood what Jesus was saying because they knew vineyards. They were surrounded by vineyards in Israel. Probably every day, most of them would have walked right past vineyards. And they understood what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you know what? Just as if you have a healthy grapevine that you will naturally get grapes coming from that grapevine. That'll be the fruit that it bears. So also, if we are connected to Jesus, we will be bearing fruit. That is his expectation for us as individuals and for us as a church. And it just makes sense. I mean, if you have a fruit tree, if you have a garden, if you have a vineyard, you're expecting it to bear fruit. I think, for instance, of the garden that's in our backyard. We plant a garden each spring, and we started this year in planting the garden by pulling out weeds. You can see my daughter there fashionably dressed, specifically for gardening. That's kind of how she rolls. But, you know, very proud of holding those weeds. Then, you know, after we pulled some weeds, we decided, okay, this, this garden needs a little bit more work. So I went and rented a tiller. And, you know, the tiller it was a tiny garden, so it's just a few passes. But, you know what, it's worth it because you need to work up the soil. And then we work composted manure into the soil to provide fertilizer for the plants. And then we planted the plants in the garden. Now the question is, why did we do all this? Was it simply so we could have a nice weed-free piece of dirt? Maybe with some little green leaves sticking out? No. The reason we planted the garden, the reason we went to that work and and that expense and that time and that sacrifice was because we wanted the garden to bear fruit. Or more specifically, 
bare vegetables, although I think that technically tomatoes are fruit. But we were looking for vegetables, herbs, and the fruit of tomatoes. And so, you know, this is a picture of some of the produce we got from the garden. My daughter Tehila and I go out there a couple times a week to pick the produce that's produced from the garden. And frankly, she's much better at it than I am because she has better eyes than I do. And then she goes and, I mean, she gets into those plants. I mean, you see that picture on the upper left of, of her holding green beans in her hand. I mean, we picked all the green beans I thought that were there. And then she went into the garden under, I mean, there's a fence there. And she went under the fence and got into the garden and, and found handful upon handful of more green beans that I didn't even see there. But and you look at all those red tomatoes. We did not intend to have any cherry tomatoes this year. I thought that we were buying regular tomatoes. But either I misread the label or it was mislabeled from the store. I, I tend to, to think the latter, but I'm, at this point I'm not positive and I can't verify it. Bottom line is we have three very, very fruitful cherry tomato plants. And so, so you know what? Our garden is very fruitful. And that is the goal of a garden. You never see someone just take some seeds out and uh, just throw them on the ground and whatever. You don't do that. No, when you plant a garden, you put seeds in there, you're planting it with the desire and the expectation that it will be fruitful. That is the goal of a garden. And that is the goal of Jesus and his work in our lives. When he plants the gospel in our lives, when he plants the Holy Spirit in our lives, when he plants his word, scripture, into the soil of our lives, he expects that it will bear fruit, that we don't just remain the same as we always have, but that there will be a transforming work done in our lives. But this does raise an important question of what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? What type of fruit does God want to bear in our lives? And Jesus here in John 15 really doesn't provide a whole lot of clarification of what type of fruit this is. But if you zoom out broader in Scripture, you will see that there are a couple main categories of the types of fruit that Jesus wants to bear in our lives. One type of fruit is the fruit of Christ-like character that's manifested through our attitudes and our words and our actions. I think, for instance, of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, meaning what the Holy Spirit uh, is, is producing in our lives, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What Paul is saying there is that as, as we remain connected to Jesus, as he transforms our lives, these are character qualities that will be manifested in our lives, not just in an abstract way, but in our attitudes and our words and actions. Similarly, over in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter wrote in verses 5 through 8, he, he said that, that you should make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with, with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I mean, that's a long list of character qualities. But he's saying, you know what? You should be manifesting these things. Why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can know a lot about Jesus, know a lot about the Bible, but still be unfruitful if there aren't life changes taking place in our lives. And part of that life change is the increasing Christ-like character that's manifesting in our lives. Now, a second aspect of the fruitfulness that God wants to work in our lives is the fruitfulness of ministry, making disciples 
of Jesus. I think, for instance, of Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about how the gospel that has come to this Colossian church is growing fruit and, and, and is growing and bearing fruit throughout the whole world. It's the, it's the fruit of ministry. A little bit later in verse 10, Paul says that, that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. He wants us to bear fruit, the fruit of ministry, the fruit of investing our lives in other people's spiritual growth so that they will grow as followers of Jesus. So these are two types of fruit that Jesus wants to produce in us and through us. But we have to recognize that that fruit does grow at different rates in different people's lives. It, it looks a little different in different people's lives. I mean, you think about fruit that you grow in a garden. It looks different. It, it grows at different rates. It's all fruit. And, and God, you know, the, the process of working in each person's life may look a little bit different. But the goal is bearing fruit in our lives. And so, as I said earlier, we're on a journey as a church. And what I want to just lay out there for us to consider today is an invitation to a journey. It's an invitation to a journey. And I recognize that, that each of us have been on our own personal journeys. The church has been on this journey. And some of you have been journeying with the church for a long, long time. Uh, I, I was in a couple conversations this week with people who basically were born into the church. Their, their parents were involved here. They were born. They were here from infancy all the way through till now. Decade upon decade upon decade. Others of you have been here maybe for a few years. I mean, kind of like I have. Some of you, this might be your first or second or third week. But what I want to invite you to is a journey. And, and one aspect of that journey is that it's a journey of discipleship. Because that's part of what it means to follow Jesus is to become his disciple and grow as a follower of Jesus. Last year, uh, our leadership board here at the church developed what, are, what we're calling our guiding principles as a church. And this is not just a mission statement. It's not something that's meant to be memorized. But instead, it serves kind of as a, as a guide for everything we do as a church, making sure that we are faithful in what God's calling us to. Let me read for you the, the guiding principles for Freedom's Church. It says that the foundation of Freedom's Church is the gospel. The good news that through Jesus, God made a way for us to be fully redeemed. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we humbly receive this gospel by faith, joyfully submit to God's transforming work in our lives, and generously invest in other spiritual growth so that God's glorious work of redemption will be, fully, will be experienced within our church family, throughout our communities, and beyond. Now, again, that's not meant to be memorized, but it is meant to be a guide for us as a church helping remind us of what God's calling us to, believing that if we are faithful in this, God will bear the fruit that he wants to in and through our church. And we've taken this, and then we have applied it in a more intentional way, because I think about how, how intentional we are called to be in making disciples. I think of Paul, and again, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, he says, we proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that's his goal in his ministry. He's helping people grow towards spiritual maturity. And listen how dedicated he is. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. And so it's Christ's energy compelling him, but, but he's diligent, he's focused, he's intentional because he wants people to grow in spiritual maturity. 
And so what we've done here at the church is we've taken those guiding principles. We've, we've come up with 15 core characteristics of spiritual maturity. And they, they're in three main categories. They all come from those guiding principles. And the first is that we want to humbly receive the gospel by faith. We want to joyfully submit to God's transforming work in our lives. And we want to generously invest in others' spiritual growth. And you see those little images associated with each one. Those are representing the 15 core characteristics, which are those qualities that, that help represent spiritual maturity in a person's life. And, and what we are seeking to do is to help the people of Freedom's Church from infancy all the way on up to grow in age-appropriate ways in these characteristics of spiritual maturity. And our ministries are geared to help do this in age and developmentally appropriate ways. Now, if you want to learn more about these core characteristics, because it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant, there's a reason I'm not outlining every single one in detail today. But out of the Welcome Center, you can still pick up a copy of the August Freedom's Connection newsletter, which details what these core characteristics are all about. But we are passionate about helping people grow as followers of Christ. And so I want to invite you into a journey of discipleship. Even if you aren't from this area, even if you um, are just passing through for the weekend, still I want to challenge you and encourage you. Be intentional and growing as a follower of Christ because we have to recognize whether we've been on this journey for a long, long time or whether, you know what, it's very new to us. There, there shouldn't be cruise control in following Jesus. Instead, it takes intentionality. So I want to ask us, even if we've already been following Jesus for a while, as we enter a new ministry season here in the church, to recommit ourselves to following Jesus. A journey of discipleship. Now another aspect of the journey that I want to invite us to is a journey of prayer. A journey of prayer. We have to recognize that no matter how hard we work, we cannot produce spiritual fruit. It only comes as we're connected to Jesus. And I think about 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. You know, this morning... We, we had classes going on all over the church. It was super, super exciting. It's, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about our ministries here at the church on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. They're going to be a lot of fun and great opportunities to grow. But ultimately, even though we have so many dedicated teachers and leaders and great curriculum and, and great fun things planned for the kids and the teens, and maybe some fun things for adults too, even though we have all these things planned, it's God who's going to cause the growth. So we need to keep going to Him in prayer, asking Him, God, can you help, this, help people of this church and help people in the community grow? To help us in our journey of prayer, in your bulletins you can find this brochure that says, Rooted in Faith, Giving to Grow. This is a brochure that's all about prayer. And it's specifically related to our capital campaign, but it, but it can help us just grow in general in our prayer lives. And in here you will find that for each day of the week, there's a, a different topic to be praying for. And one of the really cool things about capital campaigns that I've heard over and over and over is how spiritually healthy they are for churches. Because among other things, they increase the church's prayer life. So I invite you to a journey of prayer with Freedom's Church. And thirdly and finally, I invite you to a journey of stewardship. Stewardship, as we talked about last week as we looked at the parable of the talents, is the idea that everything we have comes from God. And it's entrusted to us to use wisely for his glory. Whether it's our, our, our money, our, our opportunities, our relationships, our skills and talents. 
Everything we have is entrusted to us by God. Including, as a church, this church building is entrusted to us by God. We are stewards of this building, and we are also stewards of the opportunities God gives us in ministry. And one of the things that we are finding is that the building, I mean, the sanctuary is great. There are a lot of good aspects of this building and great aspects of this location in town. But there are still aspects of our building, especially as our ministries expand and grow more fruitful, that are holding us back. And so part of the stewardship of our building and stewardship of the opportunities that God gives us is that we need to make adjustments to the building, some big ones, to help us continue to be fruitful. And that's really the goal behind the the building process, is not to have a fancy building. Frankly, the building process and the capital campaign process, it's a lot of work. It's a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of money. I don't have an interest in going through a building project if it's merely just to have a nicer building. What my interest is, is that we will be faithful to God's calling for us and fruitful in making disciples. And if, if changes to the building can help us to be more fruitful as the building becomes a more effective ministry tool, by all means, that's the road I do want to go down. And, and so it's a, it's a journey of stewardship, stewarding our own personal finances because those are involved, but ultimately it's stewardship of our ministry opportunities. And that requires also stewarding our building. I want to turn your attention in closing to the picture on the cover of the bulletin. It's of a grapevine with some very healthy and fruitful grapes on there. But if you look closely in the background, and up on the screen you can see a bigger image of what's on here. If you look closely in the background, it's kind of faded a little bit, but you can see a structure on which the grapevines are growing. And that structure is essential for the health and fruitfulness of a grapevine. Because without that structure, I mean, the, stru- the focus is not the structure. But if you don't have a healthy and effective structure holding the grapevine, it's not going to be very fruitful. It's going to be diseased. It's going to be unhealthy. It's going to struggle. In order for a grapevine to be maximally fruitful, it needs a healthy structure supporting it. And that is essentially what the church building is for us. It's a structure that is not to be the focus, but it is a ministry tool that can help support what we are doing here. And so in the building process, we are seeking, seeking to steward the building so that we can then be faithful stewards of the opportunities God gives us in ministry. So I want to invite you as we consider where God's leading us as a church. It's really a, a fun journey to be on. But I want to challenge us and encourage us to commit ourselves to the journey of discipleship, of following Jesus more faithfully, a journey of prayer, of seeking him more fervently, and a journey of stewardship, of giving back to him what's already his more generously. And as we do this, we put ourselves in a place to join what God is already doing. I think of what Henry Blackaby, a theologian, pastor, author, has said. He said, you know what, look in the world around you and see where God is working. And once you identify where God is working, join him there. Join him in the work that he is already doing. Here at Freedon's, God's been working here for a long time, and it's such a joy to join him in what he is doing here. And as we do so, we have the opportunity to invest in eternity, invest in God's kingdom. And I pray that each one of us, as individuals and us collectively as a church, will grow and continue to be faithful to him so that he will be fruitful through us so that then the ultimate outcome is that God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you 
our, first of all, patient God, that you are willing to work with us even when we were dead. I mean, the Bible says we're dead in our sins and transgressions in our natural state, just like that branch was dead that I used during the children's message. But Jesus, we thank you that you can make us alive when we come to faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you will do an enlivening work in each one of our lives, helping us uh, from here on out to grow in greater faithfulness to you and in greater fruitfulness for what you want to do in us and through us. Lord, we look ahead with anticipation and excitement to what you're going to continue to do through Freedoms. But for here today, Lord, I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the special people you've brought to Freedoms Church and all the work you have been doing. And we want to trust you for where you are leading us into the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.